Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, this morning, as we jump back into our series, Confessions, I want to begin this talk by reading an excerpt and share with you an excerpt from my journal during the 40 days. This one I wrote on June the 16th. I feel like I'm hitting a wall today. Not much motivation to read, study, pray, or meditate. For some reason, perhaps this is normal. My time with God and with Kelly has been sweet. But I'm becoming increasingly restless and having doubts if anything of substantial value will come from the renewal. I'm already beginning to feel the pressure to perform, that I will soon be back in the spotlight and expected to produce even better as a result of the sabbatical. And I fear that could be counterproductive and even undermine the purpose of the renewal. What if I don't come back with a profound message from God like Moses did? What if I don't walk away with a significant epiphany? What if I am just a more rested, refocused pastor? What if what God did in me and in my marriage is the highlight of this time away? Is that enough? I wrote then later in the day as I concluded the day, not sure why. But I sometimes question whether what I am doing in my life is really making a difference. It feels silly to even write this. I'm a pastor. But I can't deny the fact that at times I'm not sure how much of an impact my life is really having. And that feeling leaves me troubled. As the psalmist so honestly prayed, I will put my hope in the Lord and I will praise him again despite my emotions today. Learning to listen to my emotions and what the Lord may be speaking to me through them is something new to me, but I'm grateful for this newfound discipline, trusting that this will all come together as I walk through and work through this wall, and that tomorrow will be a more inspiring day. And it was. Here's my confession this morning. I sometimes wonder whether my life has significance, purpose, and meaning. Have you ever really wondered and questioned whether your life is making a difference? Because I think in life we all live our lives wanting to know that what we're spending our life doing is counting for something. And I remember as a parent when our kids were little, we, we taught them at as early an age as we could the fact that you are here for a purpose. You're not an accident. You're not here to take up oxygen. You're here to leave a better footprint in the people who you interact with in life. And so we had this little saying as parents we would use with our kids from time to time. We would challenge them and encourage them to go mad. And mad was just a simple little acrostic we used for make a difference. Go mad. And so when we were sending our kids off to school, we would say, let mom and dad pray with you. And when we prayed with them, at the end of it, we would say, now we want you to go mad. Oh, don't forget your your Barney lunchbox, but go mad. Go make a difference in your kindergarten this year. Because here's the reality. At the end of our day, each and every day, isn't that what we want most? Don't we want to feel like what we've spent our energy doing is going to produce something that is lasting? Don't we want to feel like we're spending our lives doing something that will outlive us? And will be bigger than the shelf life we have biologically here on the earth? Solomon, in his personal journal of Ecclesiastes, felt that. 
I feel that from time to time. And I'm just going to go out on a limb this morning, and I'm going to guess that every single one of you in this auditorium at some point in your life have actually asked yourself a similar question. Is my life really making a difference? Do I have significance? Do I have purpose? Do I have meaning? And so I want this morning to return to Solomon's journal in the book of Ecclesiastes. There are two real statements that that Solomon uses in Ecclesiastes that are applicable to this theme today. He uses this word, meaningless, and he uses the phrase, chasing after wind. Those two words are often used in Ecclesiastes in tandem and in conjunction with one another. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Solomon actually felt something deeply, and 38 times in 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, he uses the word meaningless. That's over three times for every single chapter he talks about life being meaningless. Here is a guy that looks back in the rearview mirror of his life, and he sees everything that he's accomplished and everything he put his hands to, and all that lied in his past, and he says, listen, so much of what I've done and what I've accomplished really feels meaningless. Why? Well, life feels like it has no meaning. When we feel like we are frantically going about doing our activities and the world is seemingly unchanged by everything that we have done. Life feels like it has no meaning. When you're trying to grasp things, and they're falling through your fingers, you're trying to learn things and retain things, and your brain simply can't understand them and retain them. Life feels like it has no meaning, because nothing in this life lasts forever. It feels like it's meaningless because we hit the final moment of our life and we hit death's door, and then everything that happens beyond that, we have no control over. That's exactly what Solomon says in the second chapter. He says, I came to hate all of my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything that I've earned. Let me hit the pause button. Solomon was saying this, Someday, someone else will occupy the palace that I worked so hard to build. Someone else will enjoy the gardens that I worked so hard to create. One day, somebody's going to run the business that you built. One day, somebody's going to have the job that you right now occupy. There's going to come a day when somebody else will be managing everything that you worked so hard to accumulate, and all of your affairs will no longer be held by you. Someday, someone else will pastor Grace Crossing Church. And there will be somebody else that will follow every single one of us. And here's what you feel. Who can tell whether my successors will be wise or whether they'll be foolish? Yet they will control everything that I have gained by my skill and my hard work under the sun. How meaningless. That word meaningless is such an interesting word. In some of the translations of the Bible, it's the word vanity. But actually, the message does the best job of capturing what the word is. It's the word smoke. It literally means vapor or breath. It's a word that was used by the psalmist when he said this in Psalm 39, You have made my life 
no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each one of us is but a breath. That's the word. Meaningless. Same content. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, and who was one of the great leaders of the early church in the first century, no doubt read Solomon's journal. He read Ecclesiastes. And he says this in James chapter 4, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. That word vapor is the same word, the same root word. It's the word meaningless, smoke. Now, I thought this morning I would give you just a visual illustration of what this feels like. The men's room is one Febreze less this morning, so I apologize, guys. But you know what life is a lot like according to Solomon and according to James? It's like that. It's a mist that appears for just a moment. We see it. We can look at it. But almost as quickly as it appears, it vanishes away. And we get so caught up in the mist We get so caught up in the vapor. We want to make such a difference with with that moment that God gives us on this earth. And when we look back sometimes, we wonder how much impact we really had. Now Solomon actually punctuates this idea of meaningless by using this term, chasing after wind. It's actually literally, if you literally translated the word from the Hebrew language, it would literally be shepherding wind. The idea is trying to corral something or control something that is elusive. When was the last time that you tried to chase down wind? I know what some of you are thinking right now. Get that out of your mind. But when was the last time you tried to actually chase down wind? Can't do it. In fact, following our service today, I'd like you to go ahead and go outside to the property anywhere you want. And you can run around as much as you want and grab as many handfuls of our wind. It's on our property. It's our wind, right? But I'm going to give you permission. You can take it. You can pocket it. You can put it in your car. Take as much of it as you want. It's all yours. Reality is I can make that offer because wind is elusive. You can't get it. And what we so often try to do in life is just like what Solomon did. We try to shepherd the wind. We try to corral it in. We try to control what is happening in our world, and so much of this world is out of our control. We have no control over it. So what Solomon does is he gives us this illustration that life is but a vapor that appears for a moment. It's like chasing after wind. And so what do we do in life when we feel like Solomon did, like I sometimes do, like I suspect many of you do, that maybe my life really doesn't have any lasting significance. Maybe I'm not really making the difference that I thought I was. Maybe my life really doesn't have significant purpose. I think there are three real lessons that Solomon teaches us out of his journal that I think are worth mentioning to us today. When Solomon looked at his life, so much of his life felt meaningless, and so many of his accomplishments felt like chasing after the wind. But what did he learn at the end of his life? What can we learn from Solomon's journal? I think three things. Number one, we often use the wrong metrics to measure life's meaning. 
we often use the wrong metrics to measure life's meaning. If you cook and if you enjoy cooking, you know the importance of using the right measurement. I don't cook very often, but I can tell you what I do know. I do know that a tablespoon of salt instead of a teaspoon of salt like the recipe calls for is going to ruin a good dessert. I know that when you don't put the right metric and the right measurement to our recipes, it affects the outcome of them. I think life is no different. I think in life so often what we do is we look to the wrong metrics to determine the measure of our life, to determine the meaning of our life. Before I left for the 40 days, I talked to our treasurer here at Grace Crossing Church, and I asked her to to have the count team to stop sending me a report that I've gotten uh, every Sunday. Uh, Following our count team's work, they always sent me a text or just a simple report of the day, and it only contained two metrics. It contained the total offering and the total attendance. And during the 40 days when I was not getting that, I began to realize how much of my emotions were tied to that report. I began to realize how often my mood changed depending on what was said in those metrics. I mean, honestly, if it was a good day at Grace Crossing Church and I felt really positive and those metrics were down, man, I felt my, I felt my emotions tanking. I felt my mood going south. And the opposite was also true. I could feel a pick-me-up if those were up. And so since the 40 days, I've asked our treasurer, listen, I know you did it during the 40 days, but I don't want you to even send that to me anymore because I feel like for me to to evaluate what God did at Grace Crossing Church on those two metrics alone is not healthy. And don't get me wrong, I like it when the metrics are trending upward. I like it when things are moving in a certain direction. But reality is we can use the wrong metrics to measure our meaning, and you do it as well, don't you? How often in life do we look to the stock market? Do we look at the number in our bank account? How often do we look at our retirement, our 401k, and evaluate how we're doing in life based upon the financial portfolio or based upon how good things are going at our job or based upon the metric of our most recent job performance evaluation? And it's dangerous. It's dangerous to get our value from metrics that don't tell the whole story. Someone recently sent me an article from an executive pastor at a large church in Atlanta. And the article was titled, 10 Different Numbers That Really Matter. And it really resonated with me because I have to remind myself that there are other numbers that are more significant, more important than those metrics. Here's what Solomon said, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. When I determined to load up on wisdom and examine everything taking place on earth, I realize that if you keep your eyes open all day and night without even blinking, you'll still never figure out the meaning of what God is doing on this earth. Search as hard as you like. You're not going to make sense of it. No matter how smart you are, you won't ever get to the bottom of it. I recently got a call from a a pastor friend who was blindsided in a meeting that he had. And he called me, and he was reeling emotionally from this meeting, which he completely did not expect. He spent the better part of his life investing in and building a great church. And so much of what he has built is now coming into question 
the value of everything that he spent his life doing. And when we talked on the phone, he just began to express to me his frustration and the difficulty of coming to terms with feeling like what you've spent your energy doing is not being valued as it once was. That's a hard thing to accept, isn't it, for all of us? But here's the reality. we got to be careful not to evaluate and measure the meaning of life by the metrics that people evaluate success by. Which brings us to the second point, which I think is really critical. We tend to confuse success with significance. We tend to confuse success with significance. I know this is going to be a huge surprise to many of you in this auditorium, but my first real job was sales. I know that's a huge surprise to many of you, but, but I actually did sales, and not just any sales, door-to-door encyclopedia sales. Oh, yeah, cold calling, baby. I mean, walking up, knocking on a door, and having a person answer it and say, hi, my name is Gil, and I'm visiting families in the area who care about the success of their children. May I have a few minutes of your time? And I began to move. I think what I loved about the job is I loved all the people that I met. I love personalities. I love the unique way that you interact with people. And I, and I saw so much diversity. And sales was actually in my wheelhouse. I, I enjoyed it, and I was very successful at it. In fact, Kelly's grandmother, who introduced me to World Book Organization and told me, you'd be a good salesman. Why don't you think about doing this? And I was graduating from high school, and I had no intention at that particular time of going into the ministry. At least I hadn't determined to do that. Uh, I had some other things on my radar, but I took that first year, and I worked, and I went into sales. And she talked to me about a family she met with several times. She said, I was trying to close the deal. They just won't buy. I'm so frustrated. I said, why don't you schedule a meeting? I'll go with you. We'll see what we can do. And I went, and I closed the deal. It was just so enjoyable. In the first year, I actually made it to the top level in the northeastern region of World Book Organization. I was getting awards. I was considered one of the youngest, most successful salespeople uh, in World Book in, in a very short amount of time. And here was the reality. I was finding success in that job, but I wasn't feeling significant. I was beginning to make a living that I thought could actually work for me, but I didn't feel like I was making a life. And I knew that there was a, something on my life, a call that was deeper, that was more significant than just selling encyclopedias. And I quit that job, and I went to Bible school, and I studied and, 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 and prepared for the ministry to become a pastor. And I've been spending my life talking to people about this issue because this is one that I think is so significant. In life, sometimes what we do is we tie our level of success and our level of fulfillment to how well we're doing in our jobs, to what our performance is like. Now listen, I love to feel successful. Every one of us here love to feel. There's just a rush that comes with that, especially if you're a type A personality. And yet, what happens when we're maybe not feeling like we're as successful as we'd like to be? I think we were all shocked this past week to learn of the untimely death of comedian Robin Williams. Took his life by suicide. We don't know a whole lot about the conflict that he was feeling emotionally and mentally that led him to that decision. 
Well, what we do know is that his TV sitcom had recently been canceled. His most recent movie tanked in the box office. Could it be that some of the feeling that his success was beginning to wane was weighing on his sense of significance? When I heard that report on Monday, it reminded me of the call I received a number of years ago about my dad, who was 58 years old. My dad left when I was only five, and he left because he intended to become successful. And at the age of 58, he was no longer receiving and experiencing success in his life, and he got to the place where his significance no longer mattered because he could no longer be successful. And he decided at the age of 58 that he would be worth being dead than living and being alive. I think in our lives, sometimes what we do is we really confuse success with significance. Viktor Frankl, who actually is an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist, was also a Nazi uh, Holocaust survivor and was in the death camp. Viktor Frankl actually wrote a book talking about his experiences while he was there talking about the relationships that he forged and the lessons that he learned. And in his book that he wrote called Man's Search for Meaning, Frankel wrote about what happens in life so often when things go a different direction than we expect them. Here's what he said. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather must recognize that it is he who is asked. In a word, each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. Frankel lived his life by a philosophy And by a philosophy that framed everything that he did in life, he called it redemptive perspective. And following his years in the death camp, he actually worked in an Austrian hospital in Vienna and worked with thousands of suicide patients. Did it in the death camp. He also did it in the hospital system. And here's what Frankel said. In all of the people that he worked with, when he helped them to discover the meaning of life, And discover what success really was. Not one of those patients ever took their life. I think when you know that you have significance, when you know that your life matters for something, it really doesn't matter what the standard of success may be according to the world. It only matters what God says of us and how God feels about us. Which brings us to one final thing that I think Solomon learned And I think all of these things I wish I had learned when I was much younger. And I think they help us. This is probably the most important thing Solomon learned. That in life, we sometimes tie our purpose in this life to this life. We tie our purpose in this life to this life. In other words, so often in life, we think that what our purpose is, is what we do for that width of our hand that we have. And we make a tremendous mistake when we live our lives and forget about God 
and forget about God's purpose in our life and why God created us, and we live our life for what we're about and what we want to accomplish, and we think that the purpose of our life is tied to this world. It isn't. When we live beyond this world, oh, our body has an expiration date, but our spirit that's been created in the image of God is going to live forever. And because of that, you and I have a purpose that's going to long outlast our earthly years and the biological moments that we get here on this earth. Here's what Solomon says in the 12th chapter. And I want to read these seven verses as we bring our time to a close this morning. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun and the moon and the stars is dim to your old eyes and the rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble. Before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants, stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds. By the way, every time that annoys you in the morning, thank God for this next part. But then all of their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom. And you drag along without the energy like a dying grasshopper. The caperberry no longer inspires sexual desires. Apparently it was an ancient version of Cialis or something. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you're young, before the silver cord of your life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. I want to read to you one more quote from Frankel's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Here's what he says. Don't aim at success. The more you aim at success and make it a target, the more that you are going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue, and it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself, or as a byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Happiness must happen. And the same holds true for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. Then you will live to see that in the long run, in the long run, I say, success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think about it. I think there's incredible wisdom in Frankel's advice, especially when he makes this statement that, that we only are successful as an unattended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself and as a byproduct to one's surrender to a person other 
than himself. The message of the Bible is that God knows our purpose. And God knows why we are on this earth. God created us for his pleasure. The message of the Gospels are that Jesus loved us so much that he came to give us true identity and true meaning and true life, not through our effectiveness or success or through the metrics of the world, but rather through living for a purpose higher than ourselves, through surrendering to a person higher than our own self, for giving our life to the leadership of Jesus Christ. When we do that, all of a sudden, I believe the metrics come into clearer focus. I believe significance becomes more important than success. And I believe we no longer tie our purpose to this world. We tie our purpose to something much grander, much bigger, and much more forever than the, the, the moments that we'll spend here on this earth. This morning, I want to encourage you to think about your confession to God as we pray today. What are the metrics that you've been measuring meaning by? What is that one circumstance in your life today that you need a redemptive perspective on? What is that thing today that you are chasing after, like chasing the wind? You're trying to find meaning in that. And reality is, you know it's empty. You're finding no meaning in chasing after that. Today, I want to encourage you to confess it to God, to invite God into it, and to ask the Lord to help you in your life to surrender to a higher purpose, to the purpose of living for Jesus, giving your life for the cause of Christ, because it's a cause that will live with you into eternity. I want to pray with you this morning. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, there's not a whole lot that we can give you today. But what we can give you that you don't have is we can give you our lives. We can give you our mind. We can give you our heart. We can give you our mouths saying that we love you. We can give you our lives in surrender. And if we don't do that, God, you never get it because there's nobody on this earth like us. So today, the greatest act of our worship is the surrendering of our life to you. And I pray this morning for every single person that's in this auditorium Every one of us at times wonder about our significance. We question whether we, our life has meaning and purpose. But God, at the end of the day, we know that we can only find those things in you and through you. So forgive us for striving after wind. Forgive us for living for what is meaningless. And help us to live our lives with a greater purpose. And that purpose is to know you and to make you known to everyone that we come in contact with. I pray your blessing, Lord, on our hearts today and on our confession to you. We pray it in Christ's name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.